Scripture passage this evening, Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you, where Paul instructs the church in Philippi to have the mind of Christ among them, and he describes that mind of Christ in what is often called maybe possibly an early poem or hymn of the church, upon page 1,827 in your pew Bibles. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing." Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." We're also going to read James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Found in your pew Bible on page 1,881. These words of instruction from James to the believers scattered among the nations... Reading verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's, of course, speaking of the importance of of a right attitude and listening to others. I had a whole other illustration in mind to open up this evening's sermon, but as I was reading this book today, it's entitled Traces of the Trinity, Signs of God and Creation and Human Experience by Peter Lightheart. I came across this portion that I felt really encapsulated what I'm seeking to communicate tonight. In a word, availability is love. And it is a love to others within one's immediate circle that opens out beyond the circle an absolute availability. 
Not only my chosen others like my wife or husband, not only the close but chosen but unchosen loved ones like parents and children, not only those, but also strangers on the street, the beggar on the sidewalk, the enraged customer on the phone, the demanding boss, the resistant employee, the recalcitrant violinist, all are enclosed in the circle of my availability. We are to encounter unexpected and even seemingly inhospitable circumstances as not ultimately an intractable impediment to my flourishing, but to encounter these circumstances in hope and trust as a new dwelling place for my person. And you know what? I just realized I read the wrong part. Can I try that again? I like that, but that's not what I was going to read. We all have our own projects and interests, and we create a small, enclosed, protected fortress around them in ourselves. Our minds are preoccupied with our own dreams and plans. We organize our time to reach our goals. If you are in a position of authority, you bend, o- you bend others into your projects. Make them dance to the tune you pipe. When you don't cooperate, they become obstacles to your dreams. And they might have to be eliminated. Which means different things depending on whether you run a Burger King or run illicit drugs. Not surprisingly, the self-enclosed person is hostile to interruption. To the demands and claims of others. We meet what is not part of the self-generating project with refusal or a sense of defeat. If I can't turn another person to my own purposes, that person is a roadblock. Something to be run over and plowed under. My employee gives me a project to work on, which eats up my free time and interferes with my plans. My teacher gives me an extra set of math problems, which means I can't watch the ball game or play on the Xbox. If you're an employer, the shoe is on the other foot. A recalcitrant employee stands in the way of realizing your goals for your company. A troublesome violinist keeps the conductor from achieving the artistic heights the conductor aspires to for the orchestra. A disabled or rebellious child pricks the bubble of the ideal of peaceful family life I had hoped for and expected. The Christian existentialist Gabriel Marcel argued that instead of considering others as inconveniences, we should welcome them with expectant availability. Availability is the aptitude to give oneself to anything which offers and to bind oneself by the gift. It means to transform mere circumstances into opportunities. We might even say favors, thus participating in the shaping of our own destiny and marking it with our seal. Availability means accepting unexpected situations not only as gifts for me, but also as opportunities to imprint myself on the other who intrudes. Mutual marking and dwelling together is the result, but only if one is available, only if one is willing to make room and take up room. You can mark two minutes off of my sermon time, okay? Because that first part didn't count. (laughs) Why do I think that fits with what I'm talking about today? Because I'm talking about listening to others and asking important questions that aren't running your agenda, but are really seeking to understand that person. And in a world which is so self-absorbed, seeing that as an opportunity... And availability to have someone pour into your life, to pour into their life, is a uh, rare thing today. It's a rare, rare thing today. And I hope that we can develop those practices together. So we've looked so far at this sermon series about uh, arts of spiritual conversation, noticing another person 
and uh, giving a silent prayer for them. Uh, Noticing them, taking account of who they are, personifying them, humanizing them, seeing them as valuable, and then praying for God to give you the, uh, the strength, the courage, praying for that individual. But today we're going to be looking at uh, listen and ask. So uh, this is, and I always come back here and look at this, so I'm just bringing this over here. Why didn't I ever think about that to begin with? Theme tonight, when we listen... And ask questions. We express love and genuine interest in others. When we listen and ask questions, we express love and genuine interest. And others. And I would like to say that this creates opportunities for evangelism in our everyday lives. And so we got two points tonight, of course. One, listen. And two, ask. Listen and ask. So let's look at point number one together. Or number one, listen. The first thing I want to talk about is how this communicates love, okay? Listening communicates love. People in our culture often interpret listening as love. It calls for an attitude of humility and grace. When we make an effort to move toward the people in our everyday lives and to listen to them, we can spark relationships and we can deepen those relationships by seeking to understand that individual, by seeking to hear about them and their life and their circumstances and their situations and their doubts and their questions. This kind of listening is shaped by a seeking to understand. So we're seeking to understand It's a pure focus upon them, rather than to change their point of view, right? Um, We're seeking to understand them, to, to, to grasp who they are as a person, what makes up all the intricacies about that person and that individual. Why is it they've come to these certain convictions or beliefs? And this creates a safe environment for conversations on a deeper level. If you really, truly listen to someone... And let's say this is the same person that we were talking about last week. We've noticed them now. We've prayed for them. We've prayed for ourselves. We've prayed for God to provide opportunity. And we've gone up to them and we engaged them with a, Hi, how are you doing today? And now we're listening to them intently. And this is something that's intuitive for people. We can tell if someone is listening to us because they actually care about us and they want to know about us. Or someone's listening because they're just waiting for their opportunity to talk. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Wives, you know what this is about, right? <laughs> yes, honey, uh-huh, uh-huh. You can listen in such a way that expresses that you are 
genuinely interested in this person. You want to know about them. In a society full of people who would rather talk than listen, you're going to stand out if you take a genuine interest in others. You're going to look different. You're going to look like salt, like light. You're going to look like a Christian. Listening shows that you're seeking to truly learn about another person. And it expresses a desire for something deeper than a surface level relationship. When I say something deeper than a surface level relationship, what I'm talking about is that you're seeking to become the kind of caring friend and Christian that when something bad happens in your friend or this person that you've met or whatever's lives, they're saying, I want to talk to her, him. Because I can tell they really care about me. We're going to make this A. And this is B. It considers Christ. Listening considers Christ. Typical evangelism instruction says very little about the art of listening. You're taught to give a gospel presentation rather than engage in spiritual conversations. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. There's a use for that. Of course, there is. I believe there's a a place for both. But most do not feel called to stand up on a box and preach the gospel in the streets or walk up to a stranger and say, if you died tonight, would you know if you're going to heaven or not? And there's plenty of examples I could list. There's Way of the Master by Ray Comfort. There's Evangelism Explosion. There's many of these other kinds of of methods. The the Roman Road, uh, Two Ways of Life. There's plenty of them. There's a specific guided one-by-one staff about how you present the gospel to somebody. But a lot of these encounters feel uh, forced and not very uh, organic, not very natural. And the person immediately, I know this to be true, and, and God can use this, God saves people this way, but they feel like you're selling them a product. That's what it is. You just want to get to the one-two punch. You just want to share the gospel with me so you can mark off the fact that you did your duty of sharing the gospel this week and you don't have to worry about worry about it anymore. In fact, you don't even have to know that person's name. You don't even need to leave your contact information with that person or ever think about them again. You shared the gospel with them. You're done. And like I said, there's a place for that. But what we're talking about in these evening sermons is about sharing your life with someone. Trust me, it takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more effort. And it surely takes a lot more time. But evangelism that occurs in our everyday lives, happens within the context of relationships 
you've already established typically or within relationships you're seeking to establish. If we approach people with the intent of simply telling them what we know without really seeking to understand where they're coming from, it's very likely they'll get defensive. And why why I say there's a place for that is because Christ, I think, did both of these approaches. He proclaimed the gospel boldly and uh, without concern about what others think. But he also brought people into intimate settings, built relationships with people, okay? The simple practice of listening to people allows one to understand and identify common ground. So you're seeking common ground with that individual. Now, this morning, I talked about how God's word tells us that everyone knows that God exists, Romans chapter 1. Everyone knows that God exists and they are without excuse. But that does not mean that in your evangelism encounters, you go up to someone and when they say, yeah, I don't believe God exists, I say, nah, you're lying. God's word says you, you know, you know. Because... Our first point of commonality with that individual, our first point of commonality is not that. Our first point of commonality is that we are both humans made in the image of God. That's where we connect. Doug Pollock in his book, God Space, said, Listening communicates true humility and sends this powerful message. I accept and respect you. And as someone made in the image of God, they're worthy of that respect. That does not mean you accept their beliefs or their convictions or everything that they uh, hold to, but you accept them as a person. As a human being, as someone made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect, as someone who's worthy to be valued and cared for. This kind of humility is expressed, exemplified perfectly in our Savior. It's the kind of attitude that Paul instructs the church in Philippi to have among themselves. It's what we looked at, uh, particularly verses 5 through 8. He says, your attitude churches in Philippi, Christians in Philippi, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even uh, death on a cross. This humility... seeks to solidify our commonality with this individual. It's a humility that seeks understanding, humility that that says, I'm not the most important person in this conversation. And what I believe and what I need to get out and what I need to say is not the most important thing the other person is. The kind of attitude that Paul tells us Jesus had is the reason why he did not feel that it was inappropriate for him 
the creator of the universe, who is the Son of God, who has eternally existed from beforehand, before time, to sit down with adulterers, to sit down with sinners, and with prostitutes, and lepers, and eat with them. Think about that for a moment. So this desire to listen, it considers Christ, it considers the way Christ lived in this world and the humility that he expressed. Finally, it creates understanding. Listening is is more than sitting around and nodding and going, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, regardless of what your spouse may think. Listening is not a passive activity. We often think of it in that way, don't we? When you're not the active speaker, you're passive, you're listening. But it's not a passive activity. Paula continues in his book, Godspace, saying, Listening is a sensitive but assertive quest really to understand someone else. It requires you to probe, explore, reflect back what you've been hearing to ensure that you've truly understood what's been revealed to you. To ask questions like this, what is this person's story? What interests them? What are their hobbies? This, of course, allows for a safe environment where people can make connections. Truly understanding one another deepens the relationship, shows points of commonality. You connect on shared experiences and passions, then people begin to open up about struggles, doubts, fears, even what they believe about God, the Bible. This takes dedication, time, relentless and constant effort and pursuit. It's not an overnight solution. Or maybe you're nervous. And that's okay, of course. It's okay to be nervous. A lot of people have nervousness when it comes to putting themselves out there building relationships with others. Uh, I'm not someone who escapes that reality. But one challenge that may help increase the quality and quantity of spiritual conversations is to focus on the other person. Focus on the other person. You're the listener and the learner. They're the one sharing. You can demonstrate that you've been listening by reflecting back what you heard, saying something like, so um, if I'm hearing you right, or something like, you seem to be saying that I understand that correctly. Or what you want me to get is that, is that correct? So here's a challenge for you. This week, ask an unchurched friend or acquaintance this question. I've been wondering if you've ever met anyone or experienced anything that made God seem real to you. Then listen to their response. Don't express your own opinion. Don't make any comments unless it's to ask for clarification. Try not to hijack the conversation or explain their experience for them and see where it takes you. All right, let's look at point number two, ask.
By the way, that passage from James is always convicting one. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And I'm like, okay, that ain't me. All right, so the first point we're going to talk about is curiosity. Curiosity is key. It's key when it comes to this second point, asking, okay? Henry Kimsey House once said, Curiosity is not the same as gathering information. Curiosity is a different way of discovering. When you're curious, you're no longer in the role of expert. Instead, you are exploring their world with them, not superimposing your world on theirs. Uh, It's a reality. It's true that God has created each of us with a divine or with a drive to learn new things, to discover new things about his creation. We're looking at the world. We want to understand it. We want to grasp it. And this curiosity should come natural to us since it is part of how we were made in the image of God. So as Christians who are desiring to engage in authentic spiritual conversations, this God-given bent toward curiosity can be the key to excellent questions that communicate to someone how much we care. So curiosity is key and leads to excellent questions that we're going to ask. Genuine compassion for others leads to wanting to understand them better, know more about them. Curiosity is the humble, sincere interest to know and care more about another person, his thoughts, her beliefs, his passions, her doubts. So curiosity is going to help us probe and think of things that we can ask this person, okay? So now we're going to look at B, causes connections. Asking questions causes connections. It invites interaction, showing that you want a relationship rather than an audience. Meaningful questions give people the opportunity to wrestle with the weighty things about their own life as it stands in relation to God. Think of, for instance, God's interaction with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, following their eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Consider it. God's omniscient, all-knowing, yet in approaching them, he asks four questions. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Did you eat from the tree? God asked questions because in in a very real sense, it was the most loving way to connect with Adam and Eve following their rebellion. This revealed that he wasn't abandoning them and that he still desired a relationship with them even though sin had changed everything about how that relationship would come about. Questions are less about being confrontational and more about speaking of a relational reality. Sometimes we use questions like swords in our vocabulary, in our back and forth with somebody. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about probing questions that are interested in that person, that individual that we're seeking to have spiritual conversations with. Asking questions causes connections. They are invitations to go deeper, to know more, to show genuine interest. And then, of course... It continues conversations. 
Questions can be asked in a harmful way as well. For example, if you hear me tonight and you think, oh, we have to ask questions when we're in these conversations, and you just pepper your conversation with questions, but don't really ask yourself the reasoning behind those questions, it can become tiresome, annoying, and seen as taking over the conversation. But God has given us the gift of curiosity to equip us in the art of asking questions. That's why Albert Einstein famously called a holy curiosity. He had a holy curiosity about the world, wanting to discover its deeper meaning, wanting to discover wonderful things about the world that God had created. Holy curiosity involves an active choice for us. We choose to notice others. We choose to allow them to matter to us, pray for them, and pursue a friendship with them. This curiosity allows the conversation to continue on. Have you ever spoken to someone, had a conversation with someone, and thought to yourself, that was such a wonderful conversation. I can't wait to talk to that person again. That's what we're talking about here. It's a bridge that gets us, this conversation is a bridge that gets us from noticing someone, from noticing someone to actively engaging with them. To actively speaking to them, talking to them. And now more than ever, our curiosity is challenged by self-preoccupation, selfish pursuits, busyness, and a plethora of distractions. And all these, I believe, lead to apathy for those around us. In fact, I just got this new phone, and it has an app on it called Screen Time. And it tracks how often you're looking at your phone, and it tells you how many hours you spend on a particular app or whatnot. And then at the end of the week, it says, your average daily screen time was, and I'm, I'm embarrassed, so I'm not even going to tell you what mine was. But it was a wake-up call. I said, if I'm looking at my phone that much, how can I even notice anyone? Or pray for them? Or listen to them? Or ask Engaging conversation questions with them. That's what our world is to right now. It's so self-absorbed. It's so inward. It's so focused on one's own desires and needs. Yet Paul instructed the church in Philippi to reflect Christ by fighting against the self-centered temptation, which is so common to us and our sinful nature. Listen to what he said in verses 1 through 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I know Paul in, in this is speaking to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but if we are instructed to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ has loved us, how is that not also true of those who are outside the church? To love our enemies, to love our neighbor. So wonder about someone. Then start by saying something like, you know, going up to them at a coffee shop that you might see or something. You know, I, I couldn't help but noticing, I love your scarf. Where did you get that? 
Now, that's, that's not how I would open up, but <laughs> make a connection with them. Or, hey, I'm wondering, or, you know, I'm curious, and then fill in the blank. And people like to talk about themselves. It, don't worry, it's not that hard. This kind of approach is appealing to others, especially in a world so segregated, so individualistic. People are starving for genuine personal interaction. In fact, I guarantee you, if you go out there this week and you engage in a conversation with someone, if you ask someone something about their life, they may kind of at first be like, huh? Like someone's actually talking to me? But then they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Because most human interaction today is not human interaction at all. It's screen time, as I discovered of my own personal issues this week. It's blabbing on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be. It's not real. Then, continue to allow your spirit-led curiosity lead you to asking them about their life the way they were raised, and what they've experienced in life. And eventually this will lead to opportunity for more profound questions, spiritual questions like, do you think life has a purpose? Do you believe there's a God? Have you ever wondered why God allows pain and suffering? Do you think Jesus is God? What do you think about the Bible? Is it trustworthy? Those are all the questions we're looking at in Explore God Chicago. Listen to others. Ask them curious questions about their life. All the while praying for God to lead this conversation, to help this conversation. This is what leads to spiritual conversation. It's what Peter Lightheart in this book is talking about. Availability. Loving others is really about being available and saying, I can put aside my own self-interest and those things that I want and really focus upon another person and thinking in my mind and realizing in my mind that doing that really is a blessing to me as much as it is a blessing to that person. Being available and really caring about them enough to show them that you care. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can continue to learn and be challenged in developing the arts, spiritual conversations. We pray, Lord, this week that you would help us to notice others around us, to pray for them, to listen to their life, stories, the hardships they are going through, and to ask caring and curious questions that may lead us to speak to them about you and your son, provide opportunities to love them enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.